This audio drama contains themes and descriptions some listeners may find disturbing. Content warnings for all episodes are available in the show description. This is Fucked Up Bedtime Stories for Adults, a series of short stories produced by English Touring Theatre. The Machine by Alyssa Ann Junyi. There was once a woman who we will call the Magpie. Or maybe Maggie. Yeah, that's good. Maggie lived in a sweet little house with a sweet little garden just off the part of the M20 that overlooks the River Medway. Not that this story is about a real person or whatever, But if it was, now you'd know where to find them. What is Maggie like, you ask? Let me paint the picture. Privilege! (coughs) But not too privileged. Maggie is very boring. I don't particularly delight in characters with zero edge, but things are going to happen to Maggie that are a little first world problem, and it wouldn't be on brand if I didn't acknowledge that from the outset. Korean, obviously. I'm the storyteller, so I get to decide. And one more thing you need to know about Maggie the Magpie. She loved her some pretty things. She loved collecting pretty things. She loved making pretty things. She loved doing pretty things like Dev Patel. Okay, that was a recurring dream she had, but hey, a girl can dream. Unfortunately, Maggie's love of making pretty things would ultimately be her downfall. Ooh, juicy. The story begins the day the world stood still. Do you remember that day? The day time stopped? As soon as Maggie woke up, something felt weird. She wanted nothing more than to go back to bed. However, having recently read a book about mental health, she knew it would help to go through the motions. Maggie made herself eggs, toast and tea and sat down to eat, overlooking the garden. She looked at her breakfast and nearly threw up. She couldn't sit still and she hated silence. Her hands itched for something to do. Maggie picked up her phone and scrolled. In times of darkness, we all turn to different gods. Maggie's goddess was Gloria Adams, a pixelated woman posing on a beach, skin so sun-kissed she seemed to defy her natural ethnicity, eating a watermelon and cloaked in the inspiring hashtag of Save Mother Earth, Vegan Wednesdays, and You Do You. Help me, Gloria. Tell me what to do, Maggie cried into her phone. And just like magic, or progressive technology, at that very moment, an Instagram post from Gloria appeared. Hello, Maggie, Gloria said. I see you're looking for something to do. Yes, Maggie exclaimed. Otherwise, I'll go mad. My days no longer have structure. Structure is dangerous, Gloria replied. I learned that from a book I recently read about mental health. I read that book too, Maggie mused. I thought it said the opposite. No, no, Gloria schmarmed. Schmarmed is not technically a word, but it should be. 
be kind to yourself. Take this time to do something fulfilling. Bake a cake or start a hobby. That way, you give your mind a break from structure. But, like, you're still being productive, so you're not a loser. That doesn't sound like giving my mind a break at all, Maggie pondered. But still, self-care. That sounds perfect. Thanks to Gloria, Maggie's itching hands had found something to do. She first tried journaling, which is using multicoloured pens to make to-do lists so extravagant that it takes more time to write them than it does to actually do all the tasks on that list combined. She spent five hours browsing Ikea online, what a thrill, and bought fancy new storage units that ended up costing more than the value of the stuff she actually wanted to store in them. Finally, Maggie experimented with the ancient art of Marie condoing her life. Which is basically just tidying, but like, exotic. Maggie's excursions into what strong, independent womanhood in one's thirties should look like had been illuminating. However, it wasn't enough to stop her tossing at night and fidgeting at breakfast the next day. Her hands still itched. She needed something more to distract them. Something else to keep her brain and body busy. So stupid silence would keep away. And once again, just like magic, an Instagram post from Gloria appeared. Gloria had bought herself a sewing machine. And, oh, it was so pretty. And, oh, the clothes Gloria was making, they were so pretty. Maggie's mind started to buzz. With each garment she sewed, Maggie could take a stance against fast fashion, child slaves, and the limited sizing available in high street shops. The remnants of an age-old patriarchal agenda that existed to restrict and control women by restricting and controlling the size of their bodies. Maggie could fuck the system from the comfort of her own home. Maggie could fashion her own armour. She would be like an Asian Kirsty Allsop. Except with less disgusting florals and more of a moral boner for Jeremy Corbyn. This is it, Maggie proclaimed ecstatic. She then purchased her first sewing machine without a second thought, little knowing that when she swiped her credit card... She had sold her soul. The box arrived on a Tuesday, but Maggie only got round to opening it on a Sunday. As she ripped tape, tore cardboard, and lifted the heavy machine from its polystyrene package, she was suddenly overwhelmed by the effort of the task and had to go away and have a cup of tea before she came back to it. Here it was, in the flesh, looking exactly like what you'd imagine. It's a sewing machine, people, not an narwhal. I hope I don't have to explain what everything in this story looks like, or we'll be here a while. Maggie stroked its surface, hands finding comfort and a sense of grounding in its, oof, firm body. She reached into the machine to check if the needle was secure. A sharp prick. The tip of her finger grew dark with a tiny bubble of blood. Hello, said the sewing machine. I'm so glad you finally unwrapped me. I was starting to fear you were having second thoughts. About this. About us. 
No, it's not that, sighed Maggie. It's just sometimes I get these weird moments where I feel kind of paralysed. I know the things I had planned on doing are things I should do, like talking to my friends or posting a returns parcel before the deadline or watching a new Netflix special by my favourite comedian. Most of the time I know I'll enjoy these things once I get started, but it takes me a while to work myself up to them. Oh, baby, life is hard, said the sewing machine. Just like my presser foot. Here, touch it. I've never done something like this before, confessed Maggie. I'm not that experienced. First time. (laughs) Everyone has one, said the sewing machine. But you're halfway there. I'm already turned on. You and me are going to have a lot of fun. And at first, they did. Sometimes, the best way to get started is to throw yourself into the fire. As with any hobby, Maggie knew that the beginning was an investment. She would have to pore over YouTube late at night, trawling through videos, helpful and unhelpful, in order to learn the craft. She would inevitably end up purchasing extra bits of kit nobody has told her she needed, wasting money on things that were overpriced, used once or never used at all. Maggie stopped checking her bank balance. Not because she didn't want to confront this spending, but because, with the world holding its breath, everything felt like it was on hold. Her nest initially cleansed thanks to the immortal instruction of Marie Kondo, quickly refilled with more chaos than before. Tangled thread, buttons like blood diamonds, lace, poppers and pin cushions re-carpeted the floor. But Maggie loved sewing. She was Cleopatra, and the machine was her chariot. They raced together, joined at the hip, the needle rattling like a thousand arrows raining out across a battle, a metallic stampede that punctured every part of her mind until her body was flooded with noise. Her body was simply glorious noise. There was no space in life for anything other than the fabric that slipped beneath her fingers, the bobbing of her foot on the machine's pedal. At first, their relationship had been a lullaby. Now, something more. As soon as she backstitched her tracks, Maggie was possessed to press onwards again. Even when she was briefly occupied with the snip of scissors or searing an iron across fresh cloth, there was a pact between the machine and her. An unspoken bond that at some point in the process they would inevitably be reunited again. Finally, Maggie felt no loss for the life she had left behind. Perhaps this was the person she was always meant to be. Bruised but happy fingertips racing across a laptop keyboard, ready to score some vintage fabric with an expertly timed final bid on eBay. Knowing, statistically, that it was probably a little old lady on the other end of the screen, perhaps not as technologically versed in the complex ways of online auctions as she, just made the experience of winning so much sweeter. No handmade bonnets for your grandkids, Sharon, Maggie would scream into her empty room, unable to contain her elation. She would then spend the next five days with scrunched-up hands and scrunched-up shoulders and scrunched-up insides, waiting for her latest purchase to arrive. Snipping, sketching, seaming, sewing. She dreamed that she could slip out of her skin, refashion it and sew herself back together. Calls from family when unreturned and messages from friends, unread 
grew stale in her inbox. Each day, as the grass in the garden grew longer and the brambles thicker, Maggie would open her wardrobe to be confronted by the utter frivolity of what hung there. It made sense now. These old clothes had no meaning, no value. Their material was immaterial. What hung here was... possibility. One by one, Maggie would grab shirts, skirts, flowing dresses, piling them on the floor. Her claws ripping, bodice from sleeve, till soft silk became shreds. And these shreds she would offer up to the machine, blind in her faith that the machine would see the potential before it and transform. Maggie's hands were tired. Her back was stiff. Her eyes were sore, and when she closed them, colours and patterns and possibilities flickered vigorously behind her lids, conjuring clothes, such beautiful clothes, brighter than reality. It's also worth mentioning at this point that Maggie hadn't eaten a proper meal in what seemed like forever. But if an entire tub of creme fraiche, a can of beans and a large bag of chilli Doritos is a jam... I'm not here to shame you. Oh, in fact, pass me the Doritos. Thank you. Maggie hadn't been outside, either. She hadn't seen the sun. In fact, every day was rolling into one. And much like gender, seconds were fluid. Hours were a societal construct. It terrified Maggie not to abide by the traditional 24-hour way of dividing the day, but did she need it? Time, Maggie pondered, was probably a concept created by rich white cis men in order to control his workers and subjugate women. And Maggie was right, folks. She just took it the wrong way. If time is meaningless, days are meaningless, and therefore the need to sleep at allocated times is also meaningless. Not that Maggie could have slept at night if she tried. In fact, the more she tried to sleep, as I'm sure you're aware, the more she really couldn't sleep. I hope none of you have that problem, and I'm sorry if you do. If you do, you'll know what it's like to lie there when the rest of the world is friends with silence and you're filled with nothing but noise. Your head creaks with the weight of a thousand doors being thrown open and slammed shut all at once. They say that feeling is because of the little men there. Ugh, men. The little laughing men that live inside your head. They have rubbery red faces and spindly legs and they hurry back and forth inside your brain, each carrying a different thought. As soon as you try to catch them, they hop through another door. They're rather partial to coffee and wine, so never feed them an espresso martini. Time was melting. The machine was rattling. The men were laughing and Maggie's body was noise. She couldn't sit still. Her hands were itching, her back was aching, and her body was noise. Time was too much, and her body was noise. The world wasn't breathing. Her body was noise. The clock struck midnight. Her body was noise. Her brain and her hands and her body was... Maggie crept downstairs, went into the kitchen, and tried to open the back door. Rust had oxidised in the lock, and the frame was stiff. She hammered and kicked and shook it and slammed, and after a few pushes, 
the door gave way. Maggie stepped out into the garden, gulping the air. She wrapped her dressing gown around her. Midnight. Now she was outside, Maggie saw how much had changed. The trees and bushes had grown thick and fast. Like matted hair, they strangled Maggie's garden from the outside world. The shining streetlights across the road couldn't penetrate the foliage, and neither could the smell of weed that often wafted over from a footpath nearby. She couldn't even see the giant Tesco's, her chosen place of worship before meeting Gloria. Wow, this is a bit fucked up, Maggie thought to herself. Is this... did I do this? Everything was quiet. Not a leafy rustle, or the snore of a woodlouse. Maggie was finally speaking to silence. And with a belly as soft as a cotton wool cloud, and arms as light as a cobweb, silence gratefully hugged her back. This is nice, Maggie mused. She sat down and closed her eyes. All was still. Maggie exhaled. Relief washed over her. She took another big, deep breath in and a big, deep breath out. And one by one, each part of her body slowly relaxed. Her fingers relaxed. Her toes relaxed. Her forehead relaxed. Her arms relaxed. Her shoulders fell away from her ears. And her lips melted into a smile. Doing nothing isn't as bad as I expected. I'll definitely do nothing more often. I was scared that if I'd stopped, I would feel uncomfortable. But in a world that's holding its breath, it's only fair that my chest feels tight. And with that, Maggie opened her ear, and the little men scurried out of her head and into the undergrowth. Maggie watched them as they became a trail of tiny spiders and disappeared amongst the brambles, with tips of thorns as red as blood. She looked at her fingertip, still marked with a scar, and knew what she had to do. Maggie went back inside, checked her bank balance, and promptly threw up in the sink she hadn't cleaned in weeks. Possibly months. Maybe years. She unplugged the sewing machine, and despite its protests, shoved it back in its box, and listed it on eBay. Knowing that it would probably be bought by an old lady named Sharon, who might end up making the same mistake as she, offered some brief comfort. And when the DPD driver came to take it away, Maggie was filled with an overwhelming relief once more. She'd forgotten what it was like to feel sane. Wow, this is heavy, said the DPD driver. Uh, it's a very old model, Maggie replied. I remember. My mum had this one when I was a boy. There was a time when everyone was obsessed with these. Maggie's face crumpled. She looked at the floor. The past ten years had really flown by. Ten whole years. Spent chained 
to the machine. The loss of a life that could have been filled her with sadness, embarrassment and shame. It's okay, said the DPD driver. Even hobbies can create their own shackles. At the end of the day, productivity is capitalism. Maggie watched the driver carry the machine into the van, slam the car door and speed away. As always, wise insight and educational quips her local post service had to offer were a bang on. Productivity was indeed the beating heart of capitalism, which there was no ethical consumption under. Aside from creating economic inequality, the inherently exploitative nature of capitalism would eventually destroy all humanity by incentivising imperialist expansion, leading to an inevitable and mighty war. Maggie smiled. Time to pop the kettle on. Maggie trudged through the jungle that was her garden, pushed branches aside and squeezed back into the kitchen. On a table so dirty, grease had fixed it to the floor, she plated tea, toast and eggs, and automatically reached for her phone. Oh, no, you don't, Maggie chuckled, realising her mistake. Triumphant, she unfollowed Gloria. But oh, what's this? A new influencer, Mary, was on the block. She iced cakes. She puffed pastries. She brightened Instagram with another wholesome hobby. Baking bread. Maggie looked at her breakfast. The yolks of her eggs, sticky and torn like bleeding eyes. She pushed them aside to reveal the slice of limp Tesco wholemeal that sat underneath, wishing it was sourdough. Fuck Kirsty Allsop. Maggie was going to be the next Asian Nigella. Story read by Amber James. Directed by Jennifer Baxt. Music, sound and editing by Max Pappenheim. An English touring theatre production. <laughs>